don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Hello, Renegade Nation, and welcome back for another episode of The World in My Eyes. It has been such a great pleasure getting to know you all over on Big Trouble in Little Vagina, and I'm so excited that I get this opportunity to share my thoughts and ideas and, well, in truth, the craziness with you here on The World in My Eyes. Now, before we get started today, I want to make sure I remind each and every one of you out there that if you're looking for something naughty on the internet, make sure you're heading over to our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys, because if you're in the market for an adult toy, or if maybe you just need a little help picking out that perfect adult toy, make sure you're heading on over to Adam and Eve Toys, because I promise you this, they will treat you right. And bonus, by being a renegade listener, they're going to give you one hell of a deal. Use the special code BABE69. That's B-A-B-E-6-9. They're going to give you 50% off of one item. But that's not it. No, no, no. They're going to give you more. They're also going to throw in free shipping. They're going to throw in three choice adult movies to get you in the mood. And a very special Renegade listener gift. And I promise you this, I promise the people over at Adam and Eve really do know how to treat you right. So make sure you head on over there today and pick out something really naughty for someone special. Like me! Also, don't forget that the Renegade Talk Radio Network is growing every single day. We've got a brand new website and it's so much easier to find all of your favorites. So make sure that you've got it bookmarked. Um, make sure that you're checking out all of the fascinating and provocative shows that we have on the website. We've got Cannabis Talk with Patty Cakes, Queen of the Cannabis, Political Insight from the Hilarious Lou Colagiovanni, Deep Insight into Conspiracies with Everly Isby. Don't forget we've got the new entrepreneurial show from Heather Havenwood. And as always, there is hilarity and thought-provoking hijinks with Richie and Sammy the Sausage Man. You can also check out my other show, Big Trouble in Little Vagina, and of course this show where I get to talk about all the things that go on around my world that make me think and cringe and laugh and go, what the fuck is wrong with you people? And don't forget, there is so much more great talk radio that's on its way out to you, so make sure that you're checking back daily because you do not want to miss what's coming up next. And if you want to take a little break from the talk radio... Head on over to Sky Pilot Radio because they play the absolute best of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I'm telling you, forget about Throwback Thursday because they've got it going on over there. You can listen to them for hours and you'll never hear the same song twice. All right, well, we have spent a great deal of time getting very intimate with each other. But in case you're new and you don't know who I am, I am that naughty mistress with the mostest, the melodic goddess, and the deviant diva, Naughty Nicole Delacroix. And on today's episode of The World in My Eyes, I've got three very interesting topics that I want to cover with you guys. First off, we're going to jump into the debate on Syria and look at the differences between the Syrian drone strikes versus the charge to war in Iraq. Then we're going to bring it back home to the United States and look at two domestic issues that seem to get very little media attention. The fallout of the Black Lives Matter campaign and how it affects race relations in this country. 
And lastly, we're going to focus on a subject that's very near and dear to my very own heart, the flooding in Louisiana. That's right, if you hadn't already guessed it from my last name, or that slight twang in my voice when I get a little tired, I did spend a great deal of my formative years in the great state of Louisiana. So there's a few things that we're going to look at there. So, as you can see, we have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's jump right on into it. We're going to start with the Syrian refugee civil war problem. And I figure we better go ahead and start with some basics so that we're all on the same ball field. So some of this you might already know, but that's okay, we're covering it for those of you that don't. Syria is a country roughly about the size of the state of Washington that's located in the Middle East along the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and it neighbors Turkey, Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. They have a population of roughly two, I'm sorry, 22 million of diverse both ethic, ethnically and religiously, and most Syrians are ethnic Arab and followers of the Sunni branch of Islam. At this particular moment, Syria is in the grips of an extremely violent civil war with the fighting between government forces and rebels that have killed more than 100,000 people and created over 2 million refugees. So, why are people killing each other in Syria? Well, truthfully, they kill people all over the place. But the killing did start in April of 2011 when peaceful protests, inspired by some earlier revolutions in, in Egypt and Tunisia, rose up to challenge the dictatorship that was running that country. The government responded by first having security forces quietly kill the activists. Then they started kidnapping, raping, torturing, and killing activists and their, their family members, including a lot of children. Then they would dump the mutilated bodies by the sides of the road. Then troops began simply opening fire on protests. Eventually, civilians started shooting back, and fighting escalated from there until it was a full-blown civil war. The rebels were gaining ground for a while, and unfortunately now, it looks like Assad is coming back and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. So, how did things go so wrong in Syria? Well, there really isn't a definitive answer there. And there are two theories, and both of them really start with the idea that Syria was just a powder keg waiting to explode for years. And it was simply lit by the 2011 protests and fueled by the government's overly harsh crackdown on its people. The first theory is what you might call religious rebalancing. See, Syria has artificial borders that were created by a European colonial power, forcing together an amalgam of diverse religious and ethnic groups. Those powers also tended to promote a minority and rule through it, deepening the pre-existing religious tensions. Compare this rebalancing to the bloodbath in Iraq after the U.S. toppled Saddam Hussein, where the long-oppressed majority retook power from and violently punished the former minority rulers. Most Syrians are Sunni Arabs, but the country is run by, a member, by members of a minority sect known as Alawites. The Alawite government rules through a repressive dictatorship and gives Alawites special privileges, 
which, as you can imagine, makes the other groups hate the Alawites in general, and which makes the Alawites fear that they may be slaughtered in mass if Assad actually loses the war. The second theory is much simpler. The Assad regime was not a sustainable enterprise, and it's clawing desperately on its way down and out the door. Most countries have some kind of self-sustaining political order, and it looked for a long time that Syria was being held together by a cruel and repressive but basically stable dictatorship. But maybe we were wrong and it wasn't stable at all. In fact, maybe it was just built on quicksand. Now, corporate media attempts to present Assad's regime in Syria as solely responsible for the ongoing conflict in the region. But the media sometimes reports on events that contradict that narrative. And these underreported details actually do shine a new light on the conflict. Like, for example, Bashar al-Assad has a higher approval rating than Barack Obama does. Despite Obama's claims that Assad is illegitimate and needs to step down, the fact remains that since the conflict erupted in 2011, Assad has held the majority support of his people. The elections in 2014, which Assad won by a landslide, with international observers claiming no violations, is a testament to the fact that although Assad has been accused of serious human rights violations, he continues to remain reasonably popular with the Syrian people. The moderate op opposition has been hijacked. There's no longer such a thing as moderate opposition in Syria, as if there ever was. The so-called Western-backed Free Syrian Army, or the FSA, has been dominated by extremists for years. The U.S. has known this, yet has continued to support the Syrian opposition, despite the fact that New York Times reported in 2012 that the majority of weapons being sent to Syria have been ending up in the hands of jihadists. Apparently, in this case, moderate can also mean al-Qaeda-affiliated fanatic. I didn't really say that, did I? No. And you know, Assad never did use chemical weapons on his own people. A UN investigation into the first major chemical weapons attack committed in early 2013, an atrocity that the West immediately pinned on Assad, concluded that the evidence suggested the attack was more likely committed by the Syrian opposition. A subsequent UN investigation into the August 2013 attack never did lay blame on anyone, including Assad's forces. And did you know that toppling the Syrian regime was part of a plan that was adopted shortly after 9-11? Shortly after 9-11, the Pentagon adopted a plan to topple the governments of seven countries within five years. Those countries were Iraq, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Iran. Now, as we know, Iraq was invaded in 20, 2003. American ally Israel tried its hand at taking out Lebanon in, 20, in 2006. Libya was all but destroyed in 2011. And U.S. drones fly over Somalia, and U.S. troops are stationed in South Sudan. Sudan itself was partitioned along, following a very brutal civil war. And Syria has been the scene of a deadly civil war since 2011. Anybody else seeing a pattern there? Well, guess what? This leaves only Iran, 
which leads me to my next point. Iran and Syria actually have a mutual defense agreement. That's right, since 2005, Iran and Syria have been bound by a mutual defense agreement. The Iranian government has shown that they intend to fully honor that agreement and have provided the Syrian regime with all manner of support, including troops, a $1 billion credit line, training, and advisement. But what makes this conflict even more dangerous is that the fact that Russia and China have actually sided with Iran and Syria, stating openly that they will not tolerate any attack on Iran. And, if you're not sure, Iran has actually been in the crosshairs of the U.S. foreign policy establishment for some time now. That's right, good old boy W. failed to generate the support needed to attack Iran during his time in office, though not for lack of trying. Because by attacking and destabilizing Iran's most important ally in that region, the powers that, that be can undermine Iranian attempts to spread its influence in the region, ultimately further weakening Iran. And this was a point that I was surprised to find out. Did you know that ISIS actually arose out of the U.S. invasion of Iraq and not from the Syrian conflict like the media would have you believe? That's right. ISIS, or as it was formerly known as Al-Qaeda, rose to prominence following the U.S.-U.K.-led invasion of Iraq in 2003. It's well known that there was no tangible Al-Qaeda presence in Iraq until after that invasion, and there's a reason for it. When Paul Brimmer was given the role of presidential envoy to Iraq in May 2003, he dissolved the police and military. Brimmer fired close to 400,000 former servicemen, including high-ranking military officials, who who had fought in the Iran-Iraq War in the 1980s. Guess what? Those generals now hold senior ranking positions within ISIS. And if it wasn't for the United States' actions, ISIS likely wouldn't even exist. Did you know that Turkey, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia wanted to build a pipeline through Syria, but Assad actually rejected it? In 2009, Qatar proposed a pipeline that would run through Syria and Turkey to export Saudi gas. Assad rejected the proposal and instead formed an agreement with Iran and Iraq to construct a pipeline to the European market that would cut Turkey out, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar out of that route entirely. Turkey, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia have been staunch backers of the opposition seeking to topple Assad. Collectively, they have invested billions of dollars, lent weapons, encouraged the the spread of fanatical ideology, and helped smuggle fighters across their borders. The Iran-Iraq pipeline will strengthen Iranian influence in the region and undermine the rival, Saudi Arabia, the other main OPEC producer. Given the ability to transport gas to Europe without going through Washington's allies, Iran would hold the upper hand and would be able to negotiate agreements that exclude the U.S. dollar completely. Now, if you don't see conspiracy there, I don't know. But here's one for you. Did you know that leaked phone calls show that Turkey provides ISIS fighters with expensive medical care? That's right. Turkey's support for hardline Islamists fighting for the Syrian regime is extensive. In fact, jihadists regularly refer to the Turkish border as the gateway to jihad. 
In May 2016, reports started emerging of Turkey going so far as to provide ISIS fighters with expensive medical treatment. Hey, did you know? Turkey's a member of NATO. Let that sink in for a minute. And probably the most disturbing point is, did you know that the Western media's main source for the conflict in Syria is actually a t-shirt shop located in Coventry, England? No, I'm not joking, and I'm not making that up. If you follow the news, you most probably have heard the mainstream media quote an entity that's grandiosely referred to as the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, or SOHR. This so-called observatory is run by one man in his home in Coventry, England, thousands of miles away from the Syrian conflict, yet is quoted by the most respected Western media outlets, BBC, Reuters, The Guardian, and The International Business Times, for example. And his credentials include his ownership of said t-shirt shop, just down the road, as well as being a notorious dissident against the current Syrian president. So let's compare Obamitable's approach to Syria with um, good old W's when we were back in Iraq. So Bush in Iraq, he attacked an evil regime that isolated for over a decade by both Democrats and Republicans. Obama for Syria wants to attack an evil regime that coddled, that was coddled for six years by the Democrats in the White House. Bush and Iraq attacked after UN inspectors were turned away in violation of Security Council resolutions. But Obamable, he has announced plans to attack before any inspections and in fact opposed UN inspections. Bush and Iraq, he attacked after UN Security Council deadlocked on authorization for use of force. Obamable has not even attempted to obtain UN Security Council authorization for use of force. Bush in Iraq attacked after building multinational coalition of the willing with Britain. Obama plans to attack without multinational coalition and after British rejection of the of the war. Bush in Iraq sought authorization from Congress first before going to the UN or planning any of the attack. Obamable opposed authorization from Congress until red line and attack were already had had already been announced. Bush and Iraq attacked Iraq as part of a war on terror against Al-Qaeda and affiliated groups. But Obamable says the war on terror is over and is arming Islamist groups allied with Al-Qaeda. Bush and Iraq had clear objectives, including regime change to replace dictatorship with democracy. Obama has no clear objective, has formal opposition to any direct effort at regime change. Bush in Iraq acted before Saddam Hussein could threaten neighbors or even his own people. But Obamable, acting after Bashir al-Assad had slaughtered 100,000 Syrians and threatened all of their neighbors. Bush in Iraq attacked after moving strategic U.S. military assets to the region to protect U.S. allies. But Obamable, acting after his pivot to Asia, after military sequester, and despite risks to our allies. And lastly, Bush in Iraq gave up golf for the rest of his presidency while U.S. troops were still in combat. But good old Obamable went golfing again after announcing his new Syrian policy. There's one key difference. 
between Iraq and Syria. See, Assad does have weapons of mass destruction, and Saddam Hussein was only thought to be stockpiling them. But there was really no way for us to be sure before the Iraq war. And in Syria, it's possible that some rebel forces possess and have already used chemical weapons as well. Alright, my dear listeners, we're just getting started. And before I get too far into this, we do need to take a moment to visit our sponsors and maybe check out a little music. You're listening to The World in My Eyes. I am Naughty Nicole, and this is Renegade Talk Radio. Meet me back here after the break. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE69 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE69 at adamandeve.com. And welcome back, Renegade Nation. If you're just tuning in, this is The World in My Eyes, and I am Naughty Nicole. And today that we're, we are talking about underreported stories and the effect that the lack of the media attention has on our world. And if you don't want to miss out, then visit our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys. They have a vast selection of adult toys, movies, and oh, so much more. And if you're looking for something very special, head on over to Adam and Eve Toys. Don't forget to use our special code BABE69. That's B-A-B-E-69 so you can get the special Renegade Listener deal. Now, I know that last segment was a little long. And we've kind of looked at the world in general today. But I want to bring it back to some domestic stories that don't seem to be garnering enough attention, at least none in my opinion. First off is a story out of Charleston, South Carolina, and it's a prime example of how people on both sides have misinterpreted the Black Lives Matter movement. To be clear, the Black Lives Matter movement was and is a way to shine a light on the disproportional killing of African Americans by police. It's not meant, nor was it ever meant to, be seen as an only Black Lives Matter or you're not black so you don't matter, as many news outlets have twisted it to be. Now, I'm going to say that a statement of mission and speaking out when the moniker of Black Lives Matter is used for non-sanctioned protests would probably clear up a great deal of the misunderstanding about the movement, but honestly, that's a topic for another day. For now, I want to talk about two young black men who were arrested after a good Samaritan was killed in a shooting in North Charleston, South Carolina. That's right. 
Dion Antonio Frazier, who is 17, and Michael Odell Anthony Dupree Tyler, who is 19, were both charged with murder. Frazier, who is 17, was also charged with possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. Now, officials have said that Frazier and Dupree Tyler asked Chadwick Garrett, who is 45, for help to get their SUV out of a ditch near Durant Avenue and North Jimtown Drive in Charleston. According to police affidavits, Garrett agreed to assist the teens for $20. After they got the SUV out of the ditch, police said that Frazier and Dupree Tyler refused to pay Mr. Garrett. Instead, they say that Frazier shot Garrett multiple times in the chest before leaving the scene. Now, I'm the first one to say, why charge someone for assistance? That's not necessarily the point. There was an agreement to pay. If they didn't want to pay him, they could have simply said, no, I'm sorry, we don't have the money. And I'm guessing Mr. Garrett would have probably gone along his way or assisted him for no charge. I'm guessing the reason that Mr. Garrett asked for $20 was because he needed to use a winch to pull the vehicle out of the ditch. And I'm guessing that's what the payment was for. A fair payment for a fair work. Now, the thing that bothers me about this incident, and personally the lack of outrage on the part of the black community, it has a lot of people that are wondering whether they're ever going to feel comfortable lending a helping hand to a stranger in need. Maybe it's an isolated incident. Or... Maybe it's not. As we segue into a story about a Johns Island man, by the way, also in Charleston, South Carolina, who's recovering after being ambushed while attempting to help a group of black men on the side of the road. That's right. Brandon Ryder has 13 staples on his scalp, a black eye, a plethora of other bruises from the incident that occurred Friday morning. By the way, That was one day after these two teens killed this man for helping them. But according to the Facebook video posted by Brandon, it's what transpired just a day after our good Samaritan was stopped and brutally executed by the two black teens in Charleston, South Carolina. Brandon stated that he pulled over and offered a woman who was waving her arms frantically on the side of the road a ride. In his words, Just last week, some guy was stuck in the middle of an intersection, so I helped him out. I automatically stopped to help someone. After driving the woman to a neighborhood that he'd never been to before, the 37-year-old offered the woman the tip money he had lying on his dashboard. That's when two black men approached him and robbed him for his money and his phone. He was then led at gunpoint to the back of the building. Brandon said that he attempted to hit the gun from the man's hand before running back to his truck, only to find a gang of men who were waiting there that proceeded to beat him mercilessly. So I ask you this. The Black Lives Matter movement has a very valid point, and it's trying to make it in a positive and non-confrontational way. But why? Why is there no outrage or commentary, really, from the black community on these obviously racially motivated hate crimes? You know what? 
I see the stories of African Americans that are being gunned down. And you know what? I get angry and I get outraged by those stories. I do. Why? Why do I get angry? Because I don't see them as black versus white. I see them as American citizens being robbed of their dignity and rights by an overzealous and yes, in some cases, racist system. Is there a race problem in this country? Oh my fucking God, yes there is. But you know what? Segregation didn't work in the early part of this century to bring us together. So why in hell do you believe that it's going to work now? We need to stop acting like we're white, black, brown, green, purple, whatever the fuck you think you are. And start acting like fucking Americans. Get over your color issue and be a fucking adult. With that said, I want to shine a light on a story that has some real fucking adults in it. And they only have love in their hearts and should be an example to people everywhere of what's right. And I'm very, very proud to say that I did grow up in and around Louisiana. So don't be surprised if I get a little choked up with this story. So anyways, when thousands in Louisiana needed rescuing, the Cajun Navy reported for duty. As thousands were stranded inside their homes as Louisiana floodwaters rose last weekend, Social media users shared photos and thanks for the Cajun Navy. The term was affectionately applied to the many fishermen, hunters, and leisure boaters who arrived to provide backup to official first responders, backed up with emergency calls for stranded residents. That's right, 30,000 people have been rescued from their homes and businesses, many by family and friends, others by hundreds of anonymous volunteers. Strangers who dropped everything to help them, to help others. They call themselves the Cajun Navy. And the Cajun Navy faces no less strenuous work, according to one of their volunteers. Chris Macaluso, a Baton Rouge native, used his own boat to help his neighbors to get to dried ground from their subdivision. In his words, I had access to a boat I could use, but man, they got a lot of people in duck hunting boats riding around these neighborhoods who have no idea where they're going, but they're here to help, and it's not easy work. Macaluso said that the rising water was difficult to navigate as the current swirls around homes and cars. Again, in his words, there have been several situations where the current has been so strong coming down some of these streets that it's dangerous to try to get a boat down them. The volunteers are risking a lot to help these people, and I know people in this part of Baton Rouge and all over really appreciate it. That's right, some drove through the water, many others broke out their boats. The original Cajun Navy set sail a full 11 years ago, two days after Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans and southern Louisiana. The recruitment began when a local radio station put out a call for anyone with access to a seaworthy craft to meet them at a local mall. They had expected 25, maybe 24, you know, 25 or 26 boats, but between 350 and 400 boats and people showed up. And the group has rescued an estimated 10,000 people. The Navy includes amateur volunteers who have been ferrying people, their belongings, and pets to safety. That's right, 1,400 pets have been rescued so far as well. 
and dedicated professional crews got in the water to save animals who couldn't swim to safety. Sometimes the worst in nature can bring out the best in humanity. And the Cajun Navy appears to be just the tip of the spear. According to the Red Cross, hundreds of people from all 50 states have already arrived in Louisiana to assist in the relief effort. It just might be that the Cajun Navy has discovered the secret to defeating disaster. Loving life and reaching out a hand. All right, my precious listeners, it's that time again. We need to visit with our sponsors, so take a moment, dry your eyes, and check out what they have to offer. Meet me back here after the break. I'm Naughty Nicole, and you are listening to The World in My Eyes here on Renegade Talk Radio. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration. Plus, a free extra gift so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE69 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE69 at adamandeve.com. And welcome back, Renegade Nation. I don't know about you, but I got a little misty-eyed on that last story. But if you're just tuning in, this is The World in My Eyes, and I am Naughty Nicole. And I hope that during the break that you took a little time to visit our sponsor, Adam and Eve Toys, and check out their wide selection of adult toys, movies, and oh so much more. You know that if you're looking for something special, Adam and Eve Toys is going to be right there for you, and they're going to treat you right. Now today we've been talking about some underreported stories in the news and their, their impact on our daily lives. And I'm going to continue my focus on the Louisiana flooding. See, Governor John Bell Edwards and other elected officials appeared pretty dismayed Tuesday morning, which was the 16th, that the historic flood, which was causing widespread damage across most of South Louisiana, really hasn't gotten more national attention. Nevertheless, the Governor and Federal Emergency Management Agency Administrator Administrator Craig Fugate said that the federal government is taking the flooding very seriously, considering it a disaster worthy of national attention. Because efforts are still focused on making people making sure that people are safe and secure, officials really haven't been able to get an exact count on how many homes have already been damaged. But the governor estimates that at least 40,000 households have been affected by the flood. This includes houses that sustained minor damage all the way up to those with more significant problems. Now, just to give you an idea that during the, the flooding in March that affected North Louisiana and the Florida parishes, a total of 40,000 homes were affected in just a few weeks. This time around, Louisiana has reached that same number of damaged homes in just two days. 
And more than 40,000 people have been rescued, and that number's probably going to go up. The first responders were still undertaking a search and rescue mission, particularly in the Florida parishes. The flooding has also gotten much worse in certain areas, particularly Ascension Parish, which will probably lead to more rescues. There's at least 34,000 homes and businesses that still don't have electricity. There's a serious lag in restoring power currently because utility companies can't even get through the high water in certain areas to make some repairs. There are several areas in Baton Rouge that didn't flood, but they still lost power and had to evacuate their homes. Some people who took shelter from the flooding at the Lamar Dixon Expo Center found comfort getting to know some strangers that were in the same boat as them. And as I said before, more than a thousand pets have been rescued. Baton Rouge's two biggest shelters, the Celtic Media Center Studios and the Baton Rouge River Center, are letting people bring their dogs, cats, and other pets with them to the facilities. No alligators, value people. No alligators. There are no official estimates on how many people might be missing at this time. The governor said that family members are having a hard time reaching people who might be at local shelters and vice versa. So, if you are looking for someone who's missing currently, please call 1-800-RED-CROSS. The state has officially started the door-to-door effort to find people, both dead and alive. Officials have started going home-to-home on Tuesday in Livingston and Ascension parishes in an effort to find people. Houses will be marked when they have been checked, similar to the search operations in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. First responders will also be checking automobiles. The governor said that there's a lot of cars that are not where they're supposed to be. The governor said pockets of water are going to make it more difficult to conduct the searches, but first responders don't feel that they can wait for the water to recede to get those efforts underway. Twenty full parishes have been declared federal disaster areas. The wider the federal disaster zone, the easier it's going to be for people to receive federal assistance quickly. The governor is urging everyone, regardless of whether they are living in a parish declared a federal disaster area or not, to register for federal assistance. He expects that some parishes that have not yet been declared a federal disaster will soon be added to the list, so there's no sense in waiting. Now, people who live in the parishes declared disaster areas can register online for aid at disasterassistance.gov. People who live in other affected areas are also encouraged to register, but need to call FEMA at 1-800-621-3362. If you'd like to do something to assist the flood-ravished parishes of Louisiana and Florida, please visit your local Red Cross to donate money, time, and necessity items such as toothpaste, toothbrushes, shampoo, soap, clothing, diapers, and the like. Also, if you're not aware, there is a severe shortage of blood in this country. Any type is welcomed, but particularly universal blood types of O negative, O positive, or AB are needed. So if you can, please donate. All right. Our last story is going to focus on the lack of attention that the flooding is getting in the media. Some will say that it's due to the focus on elections. But recently, Donald Trump took his time from his political stumping to visit and donate to the grief-stricken state, which raises questions about the Democratic nominee and, by association, President Abominable. 
After much goading from the Times-Picayune paper, New Orleans' main paper, there seems to finally be a response from the Obama administration. While the point was to have the president, and by extension the federal government, reassure the citizens of Louisiana that the government did, in fact, care about their suffering, the response that they received was not quite what was expected. Yes, in fact, it appears that there's only one thing on the mind of President Barack Obama as he surveys the devastation wrought in Louisiana by floodwaters that have forced thousands from their homes. And it wasn't about reassuring the folks of that state. No, just as the full extent of the destruction and misery of the state was becoming clear, the Obama administration reached out to the state with the heavy hand of its bureaucracy to warn against racial discrimination. Are you fucking kidding me? In 16 pages of rules and regulations, and I I want you to stop for a moment, Renegade Nation, and think about this. You just lost your home and everything that you hold dear, possibly family members, and they are sending you a 16-page book of rules and regulations. That's right, 16 pages of rules and regulations, the Justice Department warned Louisiana recipients of federal disaster assistance against, and I quote, unlawful discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin, including limited English proficiency. Now, I'm going to stop right there because, as I said, I grew up in and around Louisiana, and honestly, I lived in Cajun country where most people don't speak English anyways. They speak French. Um, so why on God's green earth would we ever have any kind of discrimination against somebody who doesn't speak English? Because most of the people I know don't. So seriously, what the fuck? Anyways, this lovely little edict was sent to citizens as they desperately tried to save their belongings or cope with the life in emergency shelters to highlight the importance of complying with, quote, non-discrimination requirements of civil rights statutes addressing the needs of the whole community and ensuring equal opportunity to access recovery efforts. Okay, seriously, I'm just going to say that that right there is a fucking implied facepalm. But Louisiana resident Rod Dreher took to the American conservative this week to let Washington know just how it felt for Louisiana residents to want relief and get the rule book thrown at them. You know, basically saying, help us, help us. And the federal government said, bend over and take it in the ass like you usually do. And I'd like to quote what Mr. Dreher had to say. I quote, Where are you people now when everywhere you look, you can find black folk and white folks loving on each other, helping each other through this crisis? The Department of Justice and many other agencies of the the executive branch overseen by Heek, who cannot be troubled to leave Martha's Vineyard, issued a long bureaucratic memo on Tuesday lecturing us that we had better not discriminate against people in our disaster relief efforts. After spending a day in a shelter and around the city, watching local law enforcement, the National Guard, and others busting their butts to help people of all races, to see that memo made me furious. Is that really what you think of us? That we're just a bunch of rednecks dying to discriminate? It's like, 
The people of your Louisiana are not our countrymen. They're aliens who bizarre, whose bizarre emotions must attempt occasionally to anticipate and manage. Treher also took the time to comment on Donald Trump's visit to Louisiana on Friday. And he said, As a presidential candidate, he has done something that was much appreciated. Besides bringing the media down here to show the rest of the country more of what we're dealing with, he has shown us respect. You can call it mere political theatrics if you want, but symbolism is important. It's very important. There are some things you can't just phone in or demonstrate by sending a card and flowers. Not sure how it is where you live, but around here, going to a wake or funeral is called paying your respects to the dead and his family. There's nothing you can do to bring the dead back. Maybe you've sent food or flowers to the family or made a generous donation to his favorite charity. All that is great. But there's no substitute for being there. I'm sharing your suffering. One's presence says to me, I am sharing your suffering and you matter to me. And I think, dear listeners, that says it all. Take the information and make your own judgment. Either way, I'm here. And I do share your suffering, and you do matter to me. And to my friends and family in Louisiana, you are strong and resilient, and my heart is with you during this troubling time. Remember, Lash Pala Patot. That's right, folks, we have come to the end of yet another episode, and I thank you so much for joining me today. Maybe you learned a little something, or maybe you just like listening to me drone on and the voices in my head take over. If you did, don't hesitate to let me know. And I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can find me at my website, www.nicole-delacroix.com or on Twitter at at Nicole Delacroix. If you like what you hear, make sure you're picking up a copy of my book, Sexual Confessional, Confidential Admissions from Social Media. That's available on Amazon.com and all other major booksellers. That's our time today, and I do want to thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And don't forget to tune in next time. Who knows what my crazy voices will say. Until then, remember, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with the scars of suffering. See you next time, my precious little heathens. I send all the love in the world to you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.